So we are in our second week of our Advent series, and I am so excited to be with you guys this morning. So my husband, Brandon, and I, a couple weeks ago, we went to a marriage conference called A Weekend to Remember, and we didn't know what to expect. Like, the person that invited us ended up not going, so we were just signed up, ready to go, and my husband was worried that it was just going to be a time where people would tell us all the things we do wrong in our marriage and make us feel bad. And I always heard A Weekend to Remember was good, so he would ask me questions, and I'd be like, I don't know the answer to your question, but I know it's going to be good. Just trust me. It's going to be good. Um, and it was held at the Coeur d'Alene Resort. Who has been there before to the resort? Okay, a fair amount of people. I hadn't been there for a long time, so I forgot just how beautiful it is. Um, and my husband had never been there, so when we stepped in, his jaw dropped, and he was like, whoa, this place is awesome. So pretty good way to start the weekend already, you know, doubts, but then stepping into a beautiful place uh, with indoor fireplaces and a giant fish tank with giant fish and the cute little shops that are in there and the dockside restaurant where you can see the whole lake um, when you look out the window. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's a very fancy place, so we felt a little out of our elements. We went up to the concierge and we're like, hello, we're ready to check into our room. And they're like, this is the concierge. You don't check in your room here. We're like, what? Okay, so where, where do we check into our room? And they point us down the hall. We're like, okay, this is where we check into our room. And when we did, the lady said, oh, we had to shuffle some people around, so we upgraded you to the lake tower. Okay, yeah. And my husband was like, booyah! And I was like, whoa, hold your booyah. Was that a free upgrade or is there a charge? What's going on here? And they said it's free, so I was like, double booyah, okay. <laughs> We're going to the lake tower. So we go in there, and it is just crazy beautiful, you guys. Just so nice. There was like a living room with a fireplace, and you can click a little button so the screen can open. You can see the lake. And there was a huge bathroom with two sinks, because one sink isn't enough. And there was a spot with snacks and drinks. And my husband loves gummy worms. So he found a little jar that was there. And he was like, oh, I want these. And I'm like, those are seven bucks. Put those down. We will go to Walmart. Like this, you can only get four gummy worms in this thing. Uh-uh. So once we settled in, uh, we went into the big room where uh, all the couples were uh, meeting for the conference. There was hundreds of people there, and we were by far the youngest people there. The speakers were amazing, trying to break the ice, make everyone feel comfortable. So they said things like, who's excited to be away from your teenagers? And everyone's like, woo! And Brandon and I go, we were teenagers a couple years ago. Um, <laughs> we definitely do not have teenage children. Um, and they said, so many things that were powerful and transformative and really helped build up our marriage. But one thing they said that has stuck with me uh, beyond all else, they said, marriage reveals to us just how immature and selfish we are. Ouch. <laughs> I, it, it hurt to hear that, but it also hurt in a good way, like when you exercise and you're sore and it, it hurts in a good way, you know what I mean? No? Okay. Um, and they said, you know, when you're committed to someone, when you're living with them, serving them, loving them, you know, all oh, there's so many opportunities that just reveal how 
immature and self-centered you can be. And they had all of us, like an exercise, say, say out loud, just admit it, I am selfish. And we all said it, and Brian and I kind of cringed and looked at each other. We're like, we don't want to say that. It's not fun saying that, but it's true. Um, and it's easy for us to like ignore our sinfulness and our brokenness until moments like that when it's staring us in the face where it's like, you are this, admit it. And it kind of sets you free when you're able to admit it. So I want to ask you guys, how easy is it for us to forget how much we need a Savior? Uh, how easy is it for us to forget how sinful we are and how much we need Jesus to save us from our sins? I think it's easy to look at other people and just think like, okay, they got sins they need to work out. And like going, mm-hmm, they need Jesus, you know? <laughs> Looking at someone like that and ignoring the areas where God wants us to grow and things he wants us to work on um, within ourselves. I think when I look at others, when I judge others, when I think like, why would someone do that or say that or think that, God uses those opportunities to, with, with gentleness and love, turn those questions back at me and say, Olivia, you do a lot of the same things. Um, you need to grow in that area as well. So it's like when I judge others, it's like a mirror looking right back at me. And God, in his gentleness, reminds me that I am just as broken and sinful and selfish and in need of his grace as anybody else. So thank God for Jesus and thank God for his forgiveness. I rejoice in verses like Psalm 103.12 that say, as far as the east is from the west, so far he removed our transgressions, meaning our sins, from us. God redeems us and God forgives us. And we all need a Savior, and that Savior's name is Jesus Christ. And this is the core of the Christmas story, that Jesus came to save the world and to save us from our sins. But the story doesn't stop there. After the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, he then sends his spirit to fill us and equip us so that we can continue the work that he started. It's like Jesus was here, did work, and says, okay, now it's your turn. It's like he's saying, tag, you're it. It's exciting to be on mission with Jesus. It is the greatest adventure that we can ever take in our lives. And the work that God has for us to participate in is kingdom work, where we are making disciples of all people and all nations. I love here at the church, we describe discipleship and leadership in such a simple way. It is spiritually investing in at least one other person's spiritual growth and helping them know who Jesus is and discipling them through that and showing them how to disciple others who make disciples who make disciples. So it multiplies out. This is the work that God has for all of us. And you don't have to have a Bible degree or any credentials to participate in God's kingdom work. All you need is faith in Jesus and a willing spirit to be used by him. Friends, here is the big idea this morning. No matter who you are or what you've done, God forgives you and includes you in his plan. 
No matter how insignificant or underqualified or imperfect you may feel, God wants you to be a part of his family, be a part of his story and his plan. You are included and you belong within it. And we see this reality of God including people that are imperfect in his plan when we look at the family tree of Jesus. There were so many people in his family that were broken and imperfect, and yet God still used them as a part of his plan. I often think that I'm not qualified uh, to be a part of God's work, and I feel so small and insignificant sometimes in, in light of how big the world is. I think to myself, God, I live in Spokane, Washington, and I know it's Spokane, and um, <laughs> I'm young, I'm a woman, I'm African-American, I'm insecure, and I have imperfections. God, why would you ever use me? Why would you want to use me? And you may ask yourself the same kind of questions. You may feel underqualified as well. Perhaps you think you're too young, or you're too old, or maybe you struggle with many things, and you're like, why would God want to use me? When I think about this, uh, quotes like this from Christine Kane, who's an evangelist and author, really encourages my heart. She says, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And his Holy Spirit is what qualifies us to do his work. So when I doubt myself, God reminds me that he believes in me. And did you know that God believes in you as well? You have a story, and it is significant, and God believes that you can endure, you can persevere, and you can just work things out as you embrace his grace and flourish in your story for his glory. He is actively involved in your life. Whether you see it or not, he is with you, and he is shaping you and guiding you. Your story is significant. You believe that? You know what blows my mind about God's story and our stories? They intermix. Like, God gave me a picture of, okay, his story is like a gumball machine, okay? Stick with me, okay? So, like, the glass ball is God, and then the gumballs are us. Like, we all fit within his story. And we all touch each other, too. And, I mean, I don't know what it means if someone comes out of the gumball machine, but you know, we are gumballs in God's gumball machine. He invites us into his plan, you and I, and he wants our mess, our imperfections. He's okay with the messiness. That's what blows my mind too. God, throughout all of history and in the Bible, he could have said all along like, okay, people, human beings, you human beings, I have a vision and I have a dream for what I want the world to be like. So I'm just going to control everyone and everything so that I can have things my way. He could have said that, but he didn't. No, instead he said, come join me in this journey. Come be a part of my story and my plan. I know you bring your imperfections and your insecurities and your baggage and your mistakes. I know you bring that with you, but that's what makes the journey so beautiful. Because when you walk with me, I make all things new. So come. 
Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. That makes me think of crafts. Okay, I get to hang out with toddlers every Sunday in kids' ministry, and we do crafts, and it's fun, y'all. We have a blast. But have you ever seen a craft done by a two-year-old before? It is a mess, okay? So imagine a paper, and there's glue and paint and glitter and scribbles all over the place and googly eyes not put in the right spot, and it's just falling apart, and they're proud of it, though. And so often, I see the parent come, and they pick up the child, and the child proudly presents their art to the parent, just, look at what I did. And the parent goes, wow, what a masterpiece. This is beautiful. I'm going to put this on my uh, fridge or on my wall for everyone to see. Good job. Good job. Very rarely do, does the parent go, uh, this is a mess. What are you thinking, Johnny? Come on. I expect better from you. Crumple it up and throw it away. That doesn't usually happen. When a parent sees a toddler's craft. And I believe that that's how God looks at you. Uh, when you come before him, when you say, God, here I am, uh, my, my heart, my efforts, my dreams, my hopes, my, my imperfections, my messiness, this is me, God, here I am. I think God looks at us, he delights in us, and he says, wow, what a masterpiece you are. Last week, Pastor Mike introduced us to the family tree of Jesus. And he pointed to the prophecy in Micah that said Jesus would come from a family line that was ancient and distinguished. And he read the entire genealogy from Matthew 1, which I will not do again, so you can <laughs> read on your own all of those names right there, starting with Abraham all the way down to Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Um, and what's really crazy about this list of people, this is where Jesus came from. Uh, everyone in there was pretty dysfunctional and imperfect and messy. And they all played a big role uh, in God's plan, and he included them and brought their mess in with it as well. Um, and there's people on here that are so unexpected. Like, when I think of Manasseh, he was a king. He was a horrible king, you guys, like really bad. He led God's people, the Israelites, away from God, had them worship idols, and even burned his own son in fire, like... He was crazy, and he's in the family tree of Jesus. And then we also have Rahab, the prostitute, who was, well, a prostitute. And she uh, lived that lifestyle, but then she showed courage when the Israelite spies needed to find somewhere to hide, and she did that for them. And then she showed faith in Yahweh, faith in the God of Israel, and then she became a part of the family as well. And then we have people like Judah and Tamar, which last week Pastor Mike talked about the scandal there from Genesis 38, where this is a father-in-law, daughter-in-law uh, together that had children together through a messy situation. And God redeemed that situation and included them in his plan. 
There are a variety of people within the family tree of Jesus that were so unexpected and so <laughs> imperfect, but they were messy humans just like myself and you. And they were part of God's plan. And I don't know about you, but when I think of Jesus being perfect, I'm like, oh yeah, he must come from a perfect family too. No, that's obviously not the case. But when I think of individuals that played major roles in the family tree of Jesus, I think of King David, okay? And in some ways, we are all like David. He is so easy to relate to. He uh, played with fire, though. Um, he was a man after God's own heart, but he lacked contentment, and he, his focus turned from God to self, and he compromised a little bit here and there until he found himself in a big mess. And I relate to his struggles. I'm like, I feel you, David. I feel you, man. Um, but not so much the king part, because, you know, maybe if I hung out at the Coeur d'Alene Resort a little bit more, I'd feel more royal like David and relate to him in that way. But the other things I do, but he was royal. He had all the riches. Uh, he won so many victories from the battles he uh, was in because God enabled him to do that. And he had six wives, but he felt like everything he had just wasn't enough. He, didn't, he wasn't content. It was really like Jenny Lind from The Greatest Showman, right here. She says it's never enough. She could have towers of gold, and they would still be too little. And she could hold the whole world in her hands, but it would never be enough. That's David, Jenny Lind in the Bible, right? David needed a savior, just as we all do. And we are going to briefly explore 2 Samuel 11, when David's big sin started with a seemingly innocent glance. So join me in 2 Samuel 11. You can open your Bibles or your Bible apps, or it'll be up here, whatever you'd like. We're going to start in verse 2. It says, One evening... David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. And the woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David knew that she was married, but that didn't stop him from taking that step of getting her to come to his palace. And um, her pregnancy made his sin public and inescapable. Um, and he wanted to cover up his sin, so he had um, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, come home from the battle that he was fighting in in order to go to go home with her to make it look like he was the one that got her pregnant instead of David. And Uriah was like, I'm not going to go home to my wife. All my bros are fighting in the battle. I can't keep my mind off of that. And he was just showed his allegiance and his loyalty, and he just slept outside the palace instead. He's like, I'm not doing that. So David tried various things that didn't work, so he came to the conclusion, I guess the only thing is to kill Uriah. That's the only logical conclusion here. Um, so 
He did. And he sent Uriah back to the battle, put him on the front lines so that he would be wiped out and killed as quickly and fast as possible. And then he took Bathsheba to be his wife. Imagine being Bathsheba. Taking a bath, mind your own business, and all of a sudden, your world is turned upside down. He took her, and now she has a husband who's this random dude. Well, she, I bet she knows who he is as the king, but random guy that she didn't marry and is now having his baby and living with him, and now her true husband is dead. Like, whoa, her life turned upside down. This situation that David created, this mess, makes me think of what James says in James chapter 1, verse 14. He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. What a mess David created. Um, death and darkness was all around. Uriah was dead because of David's sin. And then David's son that he had with Bathsheba died shortly after as a result of his sin as well. And death also occurred within David's relationship and communion with God. There was death and darkness everywhere. How easy is it for a seemingly small sin in our lives to spiral out of control. I'm sure there's, there's situations where we, we do something we think is small and we just say one lie or we just have this one more time mentality or we um, just try something we know we shouldn't once and then all of a sudden we lose control and things spiral out of control and then we get to the place where we're like, how did I get here? How did this happen? I had no intentions, like David. I just made a glance, and now all of this mess has happened. Do you ever ask yourself, how did I get here sometimes? The beautiful thing, though, is that David didn't stay stuck. And we don't have to stay stuck either. Um, and he shows us what the key to restoration is. He turned to God in repentance. And repentance is asking God for forgiveness and then committing to turn the other way and no longer live in that sin. And David was just broken. Like, after this happened, after his son died, and then Nathan the prophet was sent to him to say, dude, you screwed up, man. And he's like, I know. And he was mourning and... Uh, his, his son that he lost, he was just so overwhelmed with grief and brokenness. And then he writes the Psalm of Repentance in Psalm 51. It's a prayer. Um, and I encourage all of you to read uh, this prayer in your prayer time. Um, it is so powerful. I think whenever I feel so uh, broken and just in need of God's grace and love, I, I open up Psalm 51 and just pray like David prayed. And he said things like, God, have mercy on me. According to your great love and compassion, blot out my transgressions, though they are great. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Return to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. 
David's prayer was powerful. And he turned to God in repentance. And he shows us that repentance is the key to restoration. So if God forgave David, who was a murderer, an adulterer, a liar, who did these major things, God can forgive you of your sins as well. God wasn't done with David after his big sin, and he's not done with you either. God has work for you to do, and he has more for you in life beyond your mistakes. And God believes in you, remember? God doesn't just forgive your past. He gives you a new future, and we are all invited to be part of his family and his masterpiece and a part of the good work that he is doing because Jesus made a way for this. And this is the Christmas story, you guys. Jesus came as a perfect man through an imperfect family tree in order to make all things new, to make you new. why he's called Emmanuel, God with us. And perhaps you look at your own life and your background and your story and and you wonder, how could God ever make beauty out of the mess that you've created? Like maybe you look at yourself, you're like, I'm not a masterpiece, I'm a mess. What does God, how can he see anything else in me? God wants you to know that he still has plans for you and that you are dearly loved by him, and that your story is significant. So whenever you feel down and like you are worthless or whatever, just remind yourself of God's faithfulness to David, who was really in a dark place. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness there so that you can see God's faithfulness to you. You belong here. And you are a part of this family, and God wants you to embrace his grace and to join him on the adventure and the journey of walking with him. Because it is so exciting to, to dust yourself off and say, okay, God, I'm ready to be used by you. I know I bring all of myself, but you say that I am loved. So step into the masterpiece that God is inviting you into. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you for including us in your plan and and for sending Jesus, um, who has made a way for us to be forgiven, for us to be made new, and for us to have a new future. God, give us a greater passion and a fire for living life with you and doing your kingdom work. We are so honored that you see us as more than our imperfections. You see beauty in us. God, thank you for that. And if you're here this morning and you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're like, wow, I want to be a part of God's story. I want to be forgiven. I want to be on an adventure with him. And I want to be made new. If that is you, pray this with me. Jesus, 
I turn to you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me new, God. I pray that you can just redeem everything that is imperfect in me, all the sin here, God, I put my trust and my hope in you. I turn towards you. I repent, and I ask you, God, to fill me with your spirit, to fill me with your love and your forgiveness. God, thank you that I have eternal life in you. I accept it, and I receive it as I turn to you in Jesus' name. God, thank you for those who prayed that. God, open up their eyes to see you working in their lives. Empower them by your Holy Spirit as they continue to say yes to you this morning and for the rest of their days, God. I celebrate with them, and I thank you, God, that you are still redeeming, forgiving, and making all things new. We praise you in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Olivia. That was very powerful. Let's stand up together. Um, just wanted to remind you of a couple of quick things. Uh, one, if today you opened your heart to Jesus Christ, I would love for you to tell me about that. There's something powerful about verbalizing the commitments that we make in our own heart. I'll be right over here uh, underneath that monitor. Love for you to come, come up and talk to me. Or if you're new to the church and you want to get connected here, Make sure and come up and say hello. We also have over here a uh, prayer team on this side that's every single week ready to pray for you no matter what's going on in your life. So uh, outside in the lobby, Ryan is there ready to, anybody who's willing to help with our kids' ministry on, on uh, one of our four Christmas Eve services, he's ready to take your name. And I, I don't know, he'll probably hug you. So God bless you. Have a wonderful day.